starting a series in Jonah uh, for the next month, and let me ask you, how many people here are familiar with the story of Jonah? Just put up your hand if you're familiar with the story. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, Everyone's so familiar with the story of Jonah that what else can I say uh, about it? There's no real suspense about it. You already know that the fish gets him. And, uh, and perhaps that's one of the problems with f- the familiarity that we have with Jonah is because it's all about the fish. It's all about the fish. And sometimes the very meaning of the book gets swallowed up by the fish. And what I mean by that is that since childhood, whenever we hear about this story uh, of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish, it kind of captures your imagination, like, wow, that's so amazing, and our kids are actually doing it in, um, in, in Sunday school at the moment, and our kids are kind of amazed by this. But then, as you get a little bit older, it actually starts to trigger your skepticism, because you think, well, hang on, could a grown man really fit inside the belly of the whale? And so the book of Jonah becomes kind of like this test for whether miracles could really happen. If you're going to claim something like that, Bible... God, then I'm going to chuck the whole thing out, because that sounds ridiculous. And so, I don't want to spoil this story for anyone, because we've all grown up with a great amount of sentimentality about this book. I don't want to spoil anyone. This is the first thing I want to say about the book of Jonah. It's not about the fish, all right? Just turn to your neighbor and just say, it's not about the fish, all right? Just turn to your neighbor, it's not about the fish. That's the big point that I want you to get. Uh, and that's what we're going to call this sermon series. It's not about the fish. Because it is a very cool part of the story that a fish does swallow Jonah. But there is an even greater wonder to behold. And that is of a very big God who has a very big heart for his world. And my prayer for this series is that you and I would see it. That we would actually see with wonder the great heart that God has for this world, the surprising nature of his grace, his wonderful heart for the world. And so if it's not about the fish, what is it about? Well, this morning, I just want to give a a big overview of this book of of Jonah. Uh, And so I want to give you three things that you're going to see in this book, and then we're going to just look at the first three verses. But the first thing that you're going to see in this book is that this is a book about God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty? Uh, The best way, or one way to explain it, is to think about this, that moment where Mephasa says to Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. What's he saying? All of this, all that you see is under our control. We are the lion king. We We are the lion king. But this doesn't go far enough for God, because God is in control of everything that the light touches, and he is also in control of everything that the light doesn't touch. He is even in control over all of the darkness. And so in Jonah, we're going to see that God is sovereign. Particularly, we're going to see that he's sovereign over his creation. When Jonah goes to run away, what does God do? He whips up a storm. When uh, Jonah gets thrown overboard, he appoints a fish to come and swallow him up that this story is not about. Uh, We're going (laughs) to, when uh, in chapter four, we're going to see that God, when he needs to teach Jonah a lesson, he appoints a plant 
and a worm and an east wind and a hot day to teach Jonah a lesson. And so God is sovereign over his creation. He is in control over his creation. But secondly, we see that he is sovereign over all of the nations of the world. Did you see it in that opening text that some pagan sailors, some sailors from other nations are touched by God? God is sovereign over them. We're also going to see that this pagan city of Nineveh is a city that is transformed, and so God is sovereign over the nations. The psalm says that God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is the true Lion King. He is sovereign over all. And this is either, for you, a great comfort. I think it's a great comfort for that little lion there. Because his dad is in control of it all. That is the same thing for you. If you are a child of God, the fact that God is sovereign is a great comfort. But if you're one of those hyenas in the story, it's cold comfort. It's going to make you want to run, and we're going to see that in the book of Jonah. And so God's sovereignty is a key theme in this book. Secondly, this is a book about second chances. And we automatically, in this book, think about the second chance that Jonah gets, because after he gets spat out of the whale, he does get another chance to go to Nineveh. But what we're going to find is that by chapter 4, he still hasn't changed his attitude. He still hasn't learnt this lesson. And so the second chances that we see in this book are a bit more subtle. Second chances for, for those sailors in the boat. Second chances for the people of Nineveh. And what this teaches us is that God's missionary heart for the world might be different than what you think it is. It it might actually be for those unlikely people that you think God could never save, but does. God's missionary heart is way bigger than we think. He is a God of second chances for unlikely people. And we're going to see that specifically through the true Jonah that comes and spends three days in the belly of the earth after dying for our sins, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so God is a God of second chances. The third thing we're going to see is that this book is a book of irony that makes you self-reflect. So let me uh, talk about what irony is first. Irony is kind of some kind of event or something that happens that's unexpected, and it's wryly amusing to you, and it's often self contradictory. It has self-contradictions in it. So let me give you an example of a modern-day ironic event. Who saw this, this in the news? All right, everyone see this in the news. This is Egg Boy. If you don't know about Egg Boy, basically what happened with Egg Boy is after very tragic circumstances that happened in Christchurch, just horrible things that happened there, uh, this senator came out, this Queensland senator, he came out And he said some really insensitive, stupid things about it, trying to politically point score and all that sort of stuff. And so he's standing there in the camera, in front of the camera, and this 17-year-old boy is standing behind him, and all of a sudden he whips out his phone, typical millennial, he's got to capture it, it, put it on Snapchat, and then he picks up an egg, and then he cracks the egg on this bald senator's head in obvious protest of his views. And we all kind of watch that, and the first time you look at it, you kind of laugh a little bit. It's wryly amusing. Uh, Couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke sort of thing, and so we're all kind of laughing about it. But then in the midst of that laughter and amusement, all of a sudden you recognize, hang on, maybe this is a core part of the problem that we have right now. 
maybe this is a core part of it, that instead of people using the system of democracy that we have, where if you have a disagreement, you use words, and it's a contest of ideas, and, and all that sort of stuff, he instead has taken matters into his own hand and cracked an egg on this guy's head. It wasn't a gun, but it was an egg. And so this is actually part of the problem. So in the midst of this amusement and this laughter that you're having, you're like, oh, maybe the joke's on me. Maybe the joke's on us, because ironically, this points to my life. This actually reveals my attitudes. It reveals my level of compassion. It makes me consider how I see people who disagree with me. It actually makes me, you know, it gives me cause to examine the state of my own heart. That's what irony does. You realize that there's a lesson in it for you. And that's what this book of Jonah does in such a stunningly sneaky, subtle way. There's all these ironic events. For example, in all the other other prophets, you have a godly prophet who is sent to a broken people. But in Jonah, the prophet is broken, and the people that he's sent to go and speak to demonstrate more godliness than he does. It's, it's ironic. Jonah is one who is sent from God, who ends up running from God as if you can run from God. And then after all the complaining and the resistance and all that sort of stuff that he, he, he demonstrates, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches a one-sentence sermon, and they all repent. Easy. Done. There's this irony that keeps popping up. And so these type of ironic events that happen in this book, they make you go, ha ha, silly Jonah. If only you would have done it that way. If only you, you know, you were better. If only you did it, you know, the way I would do it. And then all of a sudden you find yourself realizing as you look at your own life, oh, this is actually a story about me. This actually, you know, brings, exposes my sinful nature. I'm the one who's in need of a great salvation. Which means that this book of Jonah is not a book about the fish. This is a book about God and you. It's a book about God and you. In fact, if you allow this part of God's word, if you actually allow it to come in, it will challenge you to the core of of who you see God as, of how you see yourself, of how you actually live, because this is a book not just to look at Jonah and laugh, but to find yourself in that place and say, God, what are you speaking to me about? And so he is sovereign over creation and all of the nations. He's a God of second chances for unlikely people. And through this story, we have pause for self-examination, for self-reflection. And so, this morning, what do we see about God's heart first? Let's have a look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so, there's two main things in this from God's word. There's a location to go to, Nineveh, and there's a message to go with, call out their evil, call it out. And so this city, Nineveh, was one of the most prominent cities in all of the Old Testament. It is modern-day Iraq. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The, The prophet Nahum called it the city of bloodshed. In other words, it was a violent and evil place. 
And there was no love lost between Jonah's people, Israel, and the city of Nineveh. In fact, the Assyrians of Nineveh, they laid siege to Jerusalem in 701 BC. And so there was no love lost between these two nations, the people of Jonah's people and the Ninevites. But also Nineveh is much more than just a physical city. It also represents all the cities of the world. And how great they can be. Don't you know this? Don't you know how great cities can be? I love, my my favorite city in the world is New York. What an amazing city. What a great city. And yet it's also got this dark side to it. And all cities do. They have this shadowy dark side to the city as well. So that's Nineveh. And Jonah has a message and he has a location. The location, Nineveh, the message, go and call out their evil. Go and call it out. And so how does Jonah respond? We'll have a look in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. It's repeated twice in that verse. Whenever you see that repeated twice, you know that's what the author wants you to know. He is fleeing away from the presence of the Lord. I want to tell you this. If you ever want to run from God the devil will provide the transportation for you to go. And he provides that ship and they go to Tarshish. And so why exactly has Jonah run away? Well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because when you uh, read the Bible, you see that actually a whole bunch of people in the Bible have either hid or fled from God, haven't they? So you see uh, in the life of Moses, for example, Moses fled and he went to the wilderness. Why? Because he felt inadequate. He felt inadequate for the task, and so he fled from God. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we flee from the call of God in our lives because we feel inadequate. But then you also see in a person like Elisha, who hid in a cave because he had a fear of man. He had a fear of how he would be received. And sometimes we're also reluctant to receive the call of God because of a fear, because we're afraid of how people will receive us. Or perhaps was Jonah like Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, they hid from God. Why? Because they had done something wrong and they were ashamed. And so that is also true. Another thing that can keep us from the call of God in our life is that we're racked with guilt. We're racked, racked with shame. We feel like God could never use us. And so we go and we hide. And so this is, you know, is Jonah one of these? Is he like Moses? Is he like Elisha? Is he like Adam and Eve? Why did he run away? Well, it wasn't because of inadequacy, and it wasn't because he was afraid or ashamed. Jonah was angry. Jonah was angry. And this is why. In that moment, Jonah made the decision to run not because he had done something wrong, but rather because he believed that God was about to do something terribly, terribly wrong. He thought that God was about to act immorally. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because this is a common objection to God in our society. Not so much whether God exists or not, but rather, is he good? It's a question of morality. Why won't you let people live how they want? Why do kids get cancer? Why don't you make your self more clear, God. These are moral questions that we have. People want to know and they question whether God is good. And this is Jonah's big issue with God right in this moment when he flees to Tarshish. He is angry. 
What God's about to do is making him angry. Why? You see, God was sending him to the worst of the worst. He was sending him to Nineveh to tell them to turn to God. And what if they actually do? Jonah could not stomach that thought, that these people might turn to God because he hated these people. He absolutely hated them. So he turned his mobile off and he skipped town, absolutely fuming at what God had asked him to do because Nineveh were the worst of the worst. And you know, I think that God is speaking prophetically to us today into our cultural context through this book of Jonah. The reason is because of this. Our cultural enemies, our cultural enemies that we have, have made us silent and angry. You know, I can't think of a time where uh, tensions have been higher between people with different beliefs. And I know the church, which, you know, once kind of occupied the mainstream of culture, are now finding that Christianity is kind of existing on the margins. And so what I mean by that is that 30 or 40 years ago, a lot of the values that the church held were also present in culture. And so it didn't look that different. Principles of the family and principles of of truth and all those sorts of things were present in both the church and in the culture. But we have seen a great erosion of that on issues like marriage and the rights of unborn children and gender and even just the right to practice religion and to call things sin and to call some things right and some things wrong. And through that erosion, probably the church has been caught napping. And all of a sudden, society has changed. And so as the church has tried to win back some territory and have a say on all these matters, it's been met with such anger anger, and such vitriol that many Christians have been bitten and they've gone quiet and they've gone silent. I wonder if you feel this. Too scared to, t- to say anything out of a fear of being ridiculed, but still very, very angry. Very, very angry inside. We have gone silent and angry against our cultural enemies, those who oppose us. Now, when you put that together with some of the evil that has happened within the church, you can see why a simmering anger that you just keep to yourself seems like the best option. You crawl under a rock, you put your phone on silent, or you get on a ship to Tarshish, you just flee those confrontations. But could it actually be that God has a heart for your cultural enemies? Could it be that he has a heart for our cultural enemies in our anger, in our silence? Maybe you're not silent, you're a shouter. (laughs) Maybe you rip in to show people how stupid they are for holding that view. But could it be that God has a heart for your enemies that you don't share? Welcome to Jonah. This is Jonah. And the question is, is what are you hoping happens to your enemies? What are you hoping actually happens to them? What is your end game? Are you hoping that they just perish in their stupidity? Do you share God's heart that none would perish, but all would come to repentance? Could it be that the very people in your life opposing you in whatever way God wants you to go to, 
to show them his heart. You see, we're very often silent and angry, but our call is to speak up and to be ready to forgive. To speak up and to be ready to forgive. Notice it says there, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Speak up. What an interesting message. Call out against it. You know, to speak for the city would be to go down there and say, hey guys, I love what you're doing down here. I love what you're doing. Uh, You want to do that? Sure. You want to kill that? Sure. You want to live that way? Sure. Go right ahead. And remember, God loves you. This is talking about going down there to speak the truth without fear, to call out against them. Because I've got to tell you, there's only power in the truth. There's only power in the truth. I mean, you might get people to like you. You can get people to like you. You can permit and permit and be permissive and, and, you know, roll over on all sorts of issues and beliefs and all that sort of stuff. And people will like you, but there's no power in that. I mean, there is. There's only the power of your personality. But true power is found in truth. And that's what Jonah's being called to go down there with, to go and to call out against them. No one can, can kind of know God's salvation without that truth. But the point is, is that Jonah hates these people and he doesn't think that they deserve the truth, nor do they deserve to be forgiven. There's even the stink of racism here. There's, there's racism here. There's like, those people do not deserve what God and I have. God and us, the nation of Israel, have. Jonah's a nationalist. He puts country before God. And, and so that's what racism is. Racism is, is God is about me and he's not about those people doing those terrible things and who have grown up in that way and have that color skin and act that way and all that sort of stuff. That, that's what racism is, particularly from a faith perspective. And there is the stink of racism here. And I just pray that that would not be in our church and it would not be in our heart. You know, in the midst of the flow of culture, it's so easy today to align yourself politically. I'm on the right or I'm on the left and you hate the other side. But as a believer, you weren't called to put your allegiance into the right or the left of politics. You were called to put your allegiance in Jesus. You were called to trust in him. He was the one who spoke the truth, but he got down low in humility, being ready to forgive. And he came to bring that to all people left wing, right wing, and to every kind. We have no right to God above anybody else. God has the rights on all of his creation. And so let me ask you, what is your attitude toward your cultural enemies? What's your posture? What do you hope happens to them? Are you angry? But let me go further, because this is more than about cultural enemies. This is even about people in your life that you're struggling to forgive. People in your life, maybe even people in this church or people in your family, people in your friendship groups, they've done something to you, they've they've hurt you and they've gone silent and you've gone silent but you're angry. And maybe you've decided that they're pretty much as good as dead to you. Maybe you've destroyed their character in your mind or even to others. Maybe you've worked up a story so much about them in your mind that it's even worse than what they've actually done. You don't want to go to them at all. And you don't want God to forgive them either. How do we possibly find it within us 
to forgive when we're sinned against? How do we possibly find it? This is the third thing, is that you can only forgive if you know how much you've been forgiven. We will only do that if we know how much we have been forgiven. You see, Jonah is hurt and he is angry. These people have been his worst enemies, but in his anger and running away, Jonah has failed to understand the very heart of God. He failed to understand how much that he himself had been forgiven and that the very nature of forgiveness is that you don't deserve it. It's actually a gift that's given, that no one actually deserves forgiveness. It's a gift. You see, Jonah failed to count himself among the undeserving. As a man of God's chosen people, Israel, he counted himself among the deserving. And so we will stay in silence and anger towards our enemies unless we count ourselves among the undeserving. We will continually to hate people, even that we actually once loved. I know that there's some people in this room today that are like that. There were people that you once loved that you now hate. And we need to count ourselves among the undeserving. See, this book is not about the fish. It's about forgiveness. It's about God's heart. Not just for the likely types that you count yourselves with, but for the unlikely types of your world. The cultural enemies, the ex-friends that have done you wrong, the family you can no longer tolerate. So, have you counted yourself among the undeserving. If, you, if not, are you not a Jonah who is carrying the weight of fleeing from God? Because I tell you, friends, that is a weight to flee from God. And rather, you actually need to practice of life, a life of fleeing from unforgiveness. You have to flee from unforgiveness, and that is the way that you will be set free. Because as you run from God, isn't there a storm raging in your life? Just like Jonah, the storm doesn't stop until he is expunged. And that is what happens to an unforgiving heart. The storm rages, and the storm rages in your heart, and the storm rages around you until you flee unforgiveness. Otherwise, it just doesn't really go away in your life. You stay with it, you hold it, you pay for it twice. See, there is only a weight to carry when you run, but there is freedom in forgiveness. There's power to transform you. There's power to transform others, and even we're going to see that there's power to transform a whole culture. I was listening the other day to a preacher from the UK who several years ago was speaking at a university with a large crowd every night coming to hear him speak, and And he said this, he said, every night I would ask people to stand up from their seat if they wanted to give their life to Christ. Imagine this big crowd of people. And every night he'd ask him to stand. And he said, every night people would stand up. But every night he said, he noticed this one woman near the front who looked like she was about to stand up, but then she didn't. And before the last night, he prayed, Lord, if she comes back tonight, help me to recognize her so that I can go and speak to her. Well, on the last night, she came back and she sat in the same seat. 
And at the end, the, the offer was made. Are you willing to repent and to receive God's forgiveness? If so, stand up from your seat. And again, she didn't stand. And so he went to her afterwards and he said, sorry to be rude, but I've noticed you here every evening and excuse me, but it looks to me like every night you've almost stood up and then didn't. And she said, that's correct. She said, well, I've been trying to stand up on the inside. And he said, well, why is that? She said, well, my grandfather was sexually abusing me from the age of four. And I'm worried that if I become a Christian, I will have to forgive him. And he asked her what advice she had received. And she said that her therapist had been telling her that expressing her anger was a healthy response. And so he said, is that working? And he said, tears started to come down. She said, no, it's not. I feel like I'm being eaten up on the inside. And so he said, gently, when you hang on to your anger, there's a root of bitterness that's growing inside of you. And you're paying for it twice, for the wrong that was done back to you back then. And now you're paying for it again today. And through tears, she decided in that moment to receive God's forgiveness in her own life. And he said the next morning she came and she found him and she said, this is the first time I feel like I've been set free. See, she counted herself among the undeserving and she was set free. And that's how you discover the wonder of God's surprising grace. When you see that Christ died for your sin, you are then free to forgive others. I want to ask you this morning, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven of your sin? Have you recognized that awful sinful nature in you and had your soul washed by Jesus Christ? Have you been forgiven of your sin? Second question I want to ask you this morning is, are there people that you need to forgive? Not just your cultural enemies, but even people in the church, even people in your family, people from your past life, people that things turned sour with. And thirdly, where are you being called to take the power of God's truth and forgiveness? Even to places that you don't want to go. Even into conversations that you want to back out of. Even to people that you found yourself hating and angry at. Because this is the heart of God. And this is the surprising nature of his grace that we're going to see in this book of Jonah. I want to ask you if you respond to his grace this morning. Why don't you just bow your heads. I want to ask you if you respond to his grace. If you want to know for sure that your sins are forgiven this morning, I want to just invite you right now to receive his forgiveness, to come before him in your heart and to ask him for the cleansing power of Jesus' blood to cover your sin. Make that decision in your heart. Say, Lord, I've run from you. I've run into sin. I've run towards unforgiveness. I've harbored a bitter heart. Forgive me. 
invite you to count yourself among the undeserving this morning. Say, I am undeserving of your grace and your mercy. And yet, thank you, Lord, for your great love, your unrelenting love that you pursue me and you pursue me, even the fact that I'm here today and have heard this message. Lord, forgive me of my sin. And this next one is so hard sometimes because of the pain I know that some of you are carrying because of what others have done to you. I don't want to play that down. I don't want to belittle that at all for anyone in this room. But are there people that you need to be ready to forgive? You actually need to let the root of bitterness that's grown up in your heart, you need to let Jesus pull it out, take it out, and know just the freedom that comes with his wonderful comfort, his acceptance. Are there people that you need to forgive? I wonder if you might get low this morning in your heart low in your heart, your mind, your spirit, say, Lord, empower me as I count myself under the, one of the undeserving. May I minister grace to another who does not deserve it. Father God, I just want to pray for all those right now in this room that are just responding to you can see their heart, you know the deep pain in their heart, you know the bitterness, you know the struggles and the wrestles that have been in their hearts, Lord, and just pray that, that they would know that you're there and that you're with us today, you're right here with us, and you want to you wanna help us with it, you want to carry the load for us, sometimes, Lord, we're too proud. Sometimes we're too proud to give you the weight that we have. We decide we want to carry it. We want to manage it on our own. And I just pray this, this morning, Lord, just that you break through by your spirit, Lord. Break through in hearts. Help us to lower our pride and to say, Lord, I'm, I can't carry this anymore. I'm giving this to you. You who invited us to come. Those who are weary and heavy laden will find the burden that carry with you is light as we bring this to you now Lord carry our burdens I pray pray that you'd open up doors and pathways Lord even today and this week for us to go spend time with you to go and talk to someone that we need to go and talk to deal with these things that we're carrying Lord let's pray for those means of grace that you just open up those conversations those things that need to happen Lord this is real for us Lord it's not just a momentary emotional Sunday thing it's an everyday thing that we carry we need your grace on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every, all, every, all days of the week Lord we need you with us
the Lord bless us with power from on high to forgive. Thank you for the great grace we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.